So as priests, if we want to become better priests, we talk to other priests. And we allow those other priests, hopefully they are wiser than we are, they are maybe uh, filled with more faith than we are, and they, they lead us, they guide us, they give us direction. In fact, we would call them spiritual directors. And so most priests, uh, have, we have spiritual directors. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, I was visiting my spiritual director. I was Skyping him, talking to him via FaceTime. I can't remember which Zoom or something like that. And, and we were talking and he's a, a spiritual director, he's a priest out of the Diocese of Wichita. Please don't tell Father Drew that he's from the Diocese of Wichita, because Father Drew already talks enough about the Diocese of Wichita, if you know what I mean. And if he hears that my spiritual director is from the Diocese of Wichita, we won't be able to shut the guy up. So anyway, that's just between us, and hopefully Father Drew is not somewhere listening. But nonetheless, okay, we move on. In that conversation that I had with my spiritual director... I was saying that sometimes I get stressed out by this whole idea of building a church and, uh, you know, some of the decisions that have to be made that they, it can be like, I didn't sign up for this when I decided to become a priest. And sometimes I'm losing sleep over things. And, and he told me to do something special. He said, here's what I want you to do, Gail, because he's a priest and I'm a priest. We just call each other by first name. So don't get freaked out by that. He said, here's what I want you to do, Gail. I want you to... I want you to start praying more in adoration. I want you to spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And I want you to remember that you are building a house for him and not for yourself. And so this summer, actually, what we did is right after that, the very next day, we started having what is called a holy hour here at St. Isidore's. Uh, on the weekdays from 9.30 to 10.30. It's not something that we would have normally done during the summer, but this summer we are. And so from 9.30 to 10.30 in the morning, we have adoration. People pray in adoration. And if you don't know what that means, don't feel bad. I was probably 25 years old before I ever experienced what it meant to pray in adoration. So what we do is we have a, a monstrance. We bring out this thing called a monstrance that we put the Eucharist in. And the Eucharist is in this little glass encasing called a pyx. And then we put the Eucharist in, in, into... Here's the... Yeah. This right here, this is a monstrance. I'm using props today. So this incredible golden uh, thing, monstrance, the word monstrance means to show. And so we put the Eucharist in the monstrance. And we set it on the altar. And we pray in the presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And this is something we've been doing all summer. And on Friday, at a particular point, I was kneeling right there at the first step. And something came to me, a line that I've been reflecting upon for, who knows, maybe a half a decade now. It was a line that was spoken at a conference that I was attending, and the line is simply this. If you believe that what you believe is really real, what difference will it make in your life? If you believe that what you believe is really real, what difference would it make in your life? And I think in that reflection, it made me realize, yeah, I don't need to be losing sleep over the building of a building. Because Jesus is real, and we're building a house for him, and he's got it all under control. But also, I had to reflect upon just my own thoughts on Jesus' presence in the Eucharist. And this would be a good time. It would be an appropriate time for me to come forth with a, a fervorino. It's an Italian thing, meaning a quick teaching. 
or an exhortation about Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist. And I've done this many times, especially considering today that we have the gospel from John chapter 6. And I thought about actually doing that, but instead I went to somebody else. I'm going to let Scott Hahn, Dr. Scott Hahn, from his book, Rome Sweet Home, give that fervorino. So just a, maybe a paragraph here from Scott Hahn. He was a professor at a Presbyterian seminary, and he was walking his students through the book of John and then approached John chapter 6, what we just read from in today's gospel. Scott Hahn says, But after lots of prayer and study on the sixth chapter of John, I realized something. Jesus could not have been speaking figuratively when he taught us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. The Jews in his audience would not have been outraged and scandalized if Jesus was speaking merely symbolically. Besides, if they had misunderstood Jesus to be speaking literally, when he meant his words to be taking, taken symbolically, he could have easily clarified his point. In fact, since many disciples stopped following him that very day, because of this teaching, he would have had a moral obligation to explain to them that he was speaking in purely symbolic terms. But he never did. Nor did any Christian for over a thousand years ever deny the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. That's powerful. When we consider what we have right there in the tabernacle, when we consider what takes place on this very altar at every Mass, when we consider what we kneel before when we pray in adoration and recognize that Jesus is in our presence, not merely symbolically, but truly present, it ought to change us. Now, head knowledge doesn't do a lot. It does plenty, but not enough. It's not sufficient to just have this head knowledge. Oh yeah, Jesus is present in the Eucharist. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assent to that with faith. It's not enough if it doesn't change us. If you believe that what you believe is really real, what difference would it make? As I've been reflecting upon that, I think it makes a difference in a number of ways. I think that I recognize that because he becomes present in the Eucharist and offers himself to us in Holy Communion, I come to the realization that he desires more than anything in the world union with us, his children. He desires union. Secondarily, I realize that I need to trust that when I am in union with him by receiving him in the Eucharist, that I become more like him. And if I truly become more like him, how does that change me? Well, it ought to change me. I ought to become a more approachable human being, a more approachable priest. Sometimes as Christians, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes as Christians, we're not all that approachable. People might have questions, but they don't even want to approach us with those questions. It's too bad. Christ was very approachable, and we become more approachable. It's not something that we think about a lot, maybe, when we think about the life of Christ, but we should think about that a little bit more. Are we approachable to others who maybe have 
contrary ideas in their mind as to the ways of God. We've got to consider that. Secondarily, we would become more loving. It's just the truth. Jesus was all loving. We would become more loving. Third, we'd become more courageous. And we would find freedom in speaking the truth, even if people disagreed with the truth we speak. There would be freedom in that because we are courageous and we know that he desires union with us. And he's told us that if they persecute him, know that they will also persecute us. So when we become approachable, when we become loving, and when we speak truth in that very same love, then we become more like him. And that's the goal. That's the desire. That's what we're looking forward to when we receive communion. And so I'll ask you one last time, my brothers and sisters, if you believe that what you believe is really real, what difference would it make?